In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. everyone, and welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Uh, today, I have a very special guest, Shep Hyken. He is a customer service and experience expert and the chief amazement officer of Shepherd Presentations, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and really has a bunch of accolades here and you know a bunch of books that he's been involved in and written. So, Shep, welcome to the show. A bunch. Uh, <laughs> a bunch. I saw a friend of mine has 30 books that he's written. I thought, well, that's a bunch. I have seven. And, <laughs> so and he much. recently re-released a book. Uh, the third one was re-released about a month or so ago, which is a crazy time to release a book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it seems you have a wealth of information that you can share with our listeners here. So we're very excited to hear everything that uh, is in store for our interview here today. Before we get started, if you don't mind giving a little bit uh, of a background of how you started your company and, and what, you're, uh, what you're focused on, that'd be great. And we could go all the way back to the very beginning where I was born. And then 12 years later, I did my first paid presentation. And it was not a speech, but it was a magic show in front of a bunch of little screaming six-year-old kids. Uh, I was hired to do a birthday party magic show when I was 12. Came home. Mom said, go write a thank you note. Dad said, great idea. Call in a week and thank them again, the parents, make sure they were happy, ask them what tricks they liked, whatever tricks they don't talk about, replace them with tricks they will talk about. And little did I know that that was going to set me up for a future in customer service and experience because I was getting my first lessons from my parents, which was show appreciation, get feedback, and then act on the feedback, process improvement, if you will. So uh, I obviously had jobs working during high school and college. I was in retail, uh, worked at a convenience store, gasoline station chain. That was an interesting job. We were self-service, so people would pump their own gas. One morning, it was so cold outside, one of the coldest dates on record in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live. And I walked out to help an elderly woman. I said, get back in the car. I'll pump your gas for you. I came in. The manager said, what did you just do? And I thought, is this a trick question? <laughs> it's like, is he testing me? I think I just pumped that lady's gas. I told him that. And he goes, you know, we're a self-service station. And I thought maybe that was another trick question. But I said, yes. He goes, and why did you pump her gas? I said, because she's probably 90 years old. It's the coldest day of the year. And it's the right thing to do. And he said, well, maybe she's going to expect that the next time. And I said, well, I hope that she comes here instead of the station across the street or on the opposite corner, because I believe that we just did her a favor and she'll come back and do business with us forever if we treat her right. And I just had it built into my DNA, maybe because my parents gave me lessons when I was young, or maybe this is just the way I'm wired. But that's what I believe in. So cut to graduating college. Within less than a year, I'd saw, I went and saw a couple of motivational speakers, and I love what they did. I said, I can do that. And that's exactly what happened. I wrote a speech on customer service, and I started to get hired to do it. 
And over the years, my research and working with all these different great companies, world-recognized brands, Fortune 50 organizations, they've taught me so much of what I learned today. And uh, that's what I do. I study, I live and breathe the whole customer service experience world. So that's a long answer. I hope that's okay. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Got to know you uh, real quick. So I, I appreciate that. As you've been uh, you know, working with different companies, different clients, looking at the space, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in customer consumer behavior over the years? Well, if you were to ask me what's changed straight out, I would say nothing has changed. And you would say, what do you mean nothing has changed? It seems like everything has changed. No, it hasn't. Because a customer wants to be treated with dignity and respect. If they are getting ready to buy something, they want help. If they have a question, they want it answered. If they've got a complaint, they want it resolved. And they want to be happy when it's over. I don't believe that's changed in the entire world of business since it started, okay? What has changed, if there is a change, is the methods that we take to do so. Just in the typical customer service world, where customers might call and have a question, a problem, or and they call a contact center, or they call the store, or whatever, they expect quick resolution. They expect uh, to be handled again with dignity and respect, but there's channels that they can go on today that they couldn't go on before. They can email they can get on the phone. Believe it or not, years ago, the only way to talk to people in customer service was to go to the store where you bought whatever it is you bought. Then came the 800 number and then email. Now you can chat. Now there's AI that'll answer your questions. You can come in through social media, through messaging apps, through the brand's very own app that resides on the mobile phone. Why they call it a mobile phone, I'm not sure because most people today don't even use it for a phone. <laughs> but you get the idea. There's so many different ways to approach a company. But in the end, what's happening at the beginning of the interaction and what happens at the end is exactly the same. And it's been that way since the test of time, the beginning of time. I get what you're saying as far as the customer experience goes and how people are interacting with brands. But do you see any sort of, is there anything post-COVID or just in general as, as the world kind of turns and changes, is there anything to be expected to change kind of in that retail world at all? Or, or do you feel like... I think the changes short term are going to be huge. First of all, the biggest change has taken place, and that is, for the most part, we've been shut down. Unless you're an essential business, if you're in the retail world and you're not considered essential, you are shut down. If you're uh, in a mall, malls have been shut down. So what's going to happen is if they haven't already opened up by the time this show goes live, we're going to start seeing openings, malls, stores. And here's what's important. Number one, I'm not going to debate whether we're doing it too soon or not too soon, but no matter when it happens, we have to follow the guidelines. We have to follow the rules. Well, the huge risk is if we were struggling coming out of this thing and we're barely hanging on and thank God we're back in business, if we go back into a shutdown because people weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's the end of even more businesses. So I would encourage the malls, the retailers, and even a boutique store to manage the social distance if that's the norm and that's what's expected, to draw a line in the sand that no one is allowed to cross. And if they do, they're asked to leave. And you have to be able to do it with dignity and respect, but you have to do it for the purpose of being trustworthy to all of your other customers. So what we're seeing not so much in the retail world right now, but let's take a look at what's happening on uh, in the airlines. I'm receiving numerous emails from the different airlines that I've flown on, and I'm watching TV commercials showing how the airlines are cleaning planes now. People are coming on in hazmat suits with sprays because they're spraying disinfectant everywhere. 
And they're doing their part to ensure that when the passenger comes on the airplane, that they're in a safe environment. Now, the gate agent has to do their part and what's happening outside of the plane to distance people. And when people get on the plane, maybe the planes aren't going to be full for the time being. The point is the same thing's happening in retail. Same thing's happening in restaurants. We have to draw this line in the sand that cannot be crossed because otherwise we'll be right back where we have been in the last few months. Do you think that's a long-term thing? Do you think this is a short-term thing as we go through the post-COVID-19 world or is this long-term? I think short-term is what we're experiencing today in these guidelines. When there's a vaccine and the COVID-19 is finally a history lesson, then I believe we'll be back to as much business as normal as we can realize that it took, I mean, if you think about it, my mom wasn't born, uh, she was born after the depression, but she lived with parents who were in the depression in the 19, you know, 29, 30, 31 era. And what's happened is she was exposed to that. Well, a lot of people living today, young and old, have now been exposed to something that they've never been exposed to. The last time anything like this happened, the pandemic was in, what, 1918. Now, granted, there have been the SARS and even AIDS and uh, Zika and all these different, but they haven't hit it like a worldwide pandemic where the entire world was forced to do this. I don't know if we're ever going to, am I going to be like, like my great grandparents were talking about, we're going to save every nickel because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. (laughs) I sure hope we can take a more positive outlook, but I think realistically, it's always going to be in the back of our mind. What's the doomsday plan should this happen again? By the way, one of the things I talk about when I jump on and do webinars or interactions, interviews, people say, what can we do right now? I go, next time, plan ahead. Well, what do you mean next time? I go, here's what the next time is looming in front of us. The next time is this goes on for more than the next few months. It goes on for the next year or two. Are we prepared with a plan in place that will allow us to pivot, offer alternatives, consider alternative ways of doing business. In my business, which is to get onto a platform and speak to thousands of people at a conference, that's gone. We can't do that. I mean, I'm in the same situation. You're going to watch sporting events with on TV with nobody in the, in the stands. Well, I'm now doing virtual presentations, and they are just as difficult to prepare for as a live presentation and probably more difficult to present. But we've learned very quickly to adapt. And my point about planning ahead is that two years ago, I didn't say, oh, we're going to have a pandemic in 2020. What I said two years ago is our economy has been going on this up, you know, this streak of just every year getting better and better. I don't know how long it can last. Let's ride this wave as long as we can. But you know what? We need to start thinking about what happens when it starts to go the other way. I remember 2008 and 9, and I remember why I stayed busy and some of my colleagues didn't because I started planning for this thinking, if this happens, what will I do? So think about it. Noah built the ark before the flood. Yeah, totally fair point. Totally fair point. reference. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair point. With that, I think uh, what I'm hearing you saying, and, and I'm a big believer of, businesses, as they put together their plans and their growth plans going forward, a part of this is, what do I need to do in case A happens or B happens or C happens? And have that like you know, plan B or plan C or plan D to be able to be in a good place in the strong place, no matter what hits us next, if anything hits us next. Have it in the book, pull out the book, the president of the United States, this president and all past presidents, they have a book on what to do when 
you know, this type of thing or any type of crisis is to happen. And we need to have that. So I think it's imperative. I mean, think about the fire drill. When you bring somebody on board for a company, most likely you're going to give them, you know, part of their training is going to be, hey, there's the exits. This is what you do in a fire. And then twice a year, we have a fire drill. We don't have it one time and forget about it. And 20 years later, all of a sudden there's a fire. No, we constantly put people through the drill. So I would say, create your doomsday plans. And I use the word doomsday as kind of like an exaggeration, but that's what it is. And by the way, our doomsday plans include what happens when the electricity goes out in our office building for two or three days. What happens when there's no air conditioning in the hottest part of the summer or no heat in the coldest part of the winter? That's part of the different areas of our doomsday plans. We know how to mobilize and how to work. Well, now we really know how to work from home. Yeah, yeah. Before that, it was like, we're going to grab our laptops. We're going over to the coffee shop across the way. You know, we know exactly what we need to do. And so that's what we need to do today. And then what I urge companies and retailers and everybody to do is to take a look at those plans at least once a year with the leadership team and a few of the stakeholders that are on the front line to be able to say, is this still valid? What can we add? What can we change? As you are kind of looking at the different retailers again, you know, that, you, that you've seen do this well and not do this well, what, what is one, and I know Omnichannel is kind of a piece of, uh, you know, it's kind of a buzzword, but what, what do you suggest to companies to bring together the offline and online, you know, worlds into one place? They need to be seamless. And this is the most important thing. I want you to think back to when Nordstrom's was moving to an online experience. They have a wonderful in-store experience. And now they're moving online. And I was called and did, I can't tell you, dozens of interviews about this particular topic. And I said, the thing that Nordstrom needs to look out for, and by the way, I'm sure they already have, okay? But if anybody wants to look at what Nordstrom is doing and moving into a, a, from a brick and mortar to an online presence, if they've got an experience that's in person, they have to duplicate or replicate that experience online to the point of expectation. We expect Nordstrom to be a very high level of engagement service. If there's a problem, we can get help. We can get our questions answered. We need to have that same experience online. By the way, when we're online and we decide to email, say, for example, as a question, I don't think we're expecting to get an answer back in one minute, but we're definitely not expecting to get the answer in five days either. So whatever the norm expectation is, and any retailer will figure this out. And by the way, there's lots of benchmarks that are out there, but depending on who your customer base is, it's going to change and the way they communicate. Somebody on an app or a chat, a lot of people, when they chat, why do chats? I would think for me, chats should be almost instantaneous. I ask my question, I get an answer. But some customers, their chats are three hours long. They type the question, they go do work, and they come back and see if there's an answer later on. And that, by the way, is probably more normal than not. I don't know, not for me. But the point I'm trying to make, I'm going a long way to get there, is that whatever's happening online has to have a feeling of the same experience you want that customer to feel in person. By the way, on the flip side, Amazon, who is strictly online, now builds brick and mortar stores or opens up brick and mortar stores of Amazon, plus, of course, Whole Foods. And we are expecting some of the level of Amazon convenience and fast response and even pricing in the experience that we have in person. So it works both ways. I agree with you. That's actually the second question I was going to ask you, and you answered it proactively. <laughs> Some companies have been making investments in the digital side and not replicating that same experience in-store. So I think you make a very valid point. It should be both ways, and that should be seamless across the board. 
depending on what your brand voice and segment is and, and your focus areas really are. Shep, are there areas um, that the retailer should avoid doing? I know we, we want a contingency plan. We want a plan B and C. We want to take this as kind of being cautionary as we get back into the market. But are there things that are overkill or too much or could be negatively seen by consumers? I think one of the strongest ways to build loyalty is to create a loyalty program. That is not a, a frequent flyer or frequent purchase program. It's a true loyalty program. And I'm going to give you an example. And by the way, I have nothing against companies that say, hey, I'm going to give you a card. And every time you come in here, I'm going to punch it. And the sixth time you come in here, you're, you get a free pair of whatever, you know, or, or free soda or what if you're in the food business. That is a marketing plan. That is not a loyalty program. And there's a difference. As I listen to your question, what I want you and encourage you to do is think about what can I give my customers a value they're going to make them want to come and do business because this, by the way, is the new way of marketing. Let me give you value. Let me not have to sell you. Don't make me push it down your throat because I don't like it when you do that. Okay. But if we can give them value. So Nike is a perfect example of a, an unbelievable loyalty program. People say the Amazon Prime program, they refer to it as a loyalty program. No, it's a membership program, which encourages repeat business beautifully done, creates ongoing repeat business. Some customers do feel emotionally connected and hence are loyal. Why does Nike get an emotional connection? Aside from how they've positioned some of their product, which gives you a feeling of emotion when you watch some of their commercials or read some of their adverts, they also market to you based on you, not all of Nike. So if I, for example, do nothing but run, I'm probably going to get information about running shoes, what's the latest, the greatest, the next. I may be privy to the new shoe because I've shown interest in that. But what they won't send me is basketball or, or court shoes, if you will, or soccer shoes or any other type of shoes because they know who I am. And as a result, that personalization is very powerful. So I would say in the, the future of retail, which has been ramping up, the future is really now, but it's only going to get more of what we have right now. Number one, our customers love personalization. Make them feel like they're an individual, not a customer number, if you will, not just another person. Number two, they love good content that makes them better educated to buy more. And if we can do that without being overly salesy, we win. What's number three? There's always a third one. <laughs> There's at least three. You know, our customers expect us to create a safe environment from them. Well, now it's physically safe with all that's gone on with the COVID-19 pandemic, but also they expect us to create a safe environment of their data. If I'm going to give you my name, my email, my credit card information, I expect you to treat it with the highest level of respect. As you've been working you know, with different brands, and you just called out Nike, but are there brands that you think have really good in-store experiences that you've seen? Nike does, obviously, but you know, let's go with Apple. Talk about a great in-store experience. First of all, uh, Apple's a little different over the years. They've created these true evangelists about their product. They're so good that they set up a forum where Apple customers can deliver customer service to other Apple customers. <laughs> and, and they monitor the forum to make sure nobody's saying anything wrong or bad or whatever. But these evangelists love the product and they love to share how they're using the products. When you go into a store and you learn how it works, 
And they just done a wonderful job with the knowledge of their reps that are on the floor, with the people at the genius bar, if you will, all the way to where you call on the phone and you get somebody. And I'll never forget, I was so upset when I bought my iPhone. I was struggling with this. I was angry almost. And I remember calling and, you know, the first thing the person said, well, do you, can we, I'm, I'm not going to send you the genius bar yet because I didn't want to have to go to the mall. They said, but first of all, I want to win you over. I swear this is what the guy said. I want you to love the phone when we're finished so much that you would be willing to jump in front of a moving bus to save <laughs> your phone. he said this to me i went wow and i responded i'm impressed i would be happy right now to jump in front of that moving bus provided it was going backwards (laughs) but that's what the guy told me you know what i'm gonna write that down because that's worth writing about in an article i've never written about that before (laughs) but that's the truth we want somebody to love our product that much and when you can deliver a service experience around it you're going to create that kind of loyalty And by the way, the people were wonderful. They gave me the support I needed. I didn't need to go to the Genius Bar. In some cases, if something's actually broken, you might need to do it. They've got a great system. All right, so enough about Apple. Maybe all this great talk about Apple, they'll send me another set of iPod. (laughs) What are some learnings that other smaller kind of retailers can can take from what they do really well? I want to talk a little bit about what's happened with COVID-19, where we've been forced to cut people, cut all kinds of expenses. The one area you have to be very careful about cutting is something that will impact the customer's experience. So let's take the exact opposite of what has happened where our stores have been closed down and they're empty and we can't get as many people in. Let's take the busiest time of the year between Thanksgiving and Christmas here in North America and other parts of the world. And let's, as a retailer, recognize we need to properly staff. Here's what's going to happen. A customer is walking through the mall, and I'm just going to use this as a generic example, walking through the mall, looking for gifts, sees a signage, sees the displays, and thought, they have something in there I might want. Customer looks in and sees this long line of 40 people at the checkout and walks in for a moment, notices it's not moving, and they walk out. And you know what? That was a missed opportunity. So number one, we need to ramp up properly. We need to cut properly, things that the customer won't notice. If it's going to be super busy and we can predict those busy times, ramp up with more staff. If it's going to be super slow, you're welcome to ramp it down. But if you're going to ramp it down to a point where the customer notices, we've got a problem. I have a client that's in the hotel business and their occupancy rate of their hotels went from 90, 92% is what he said, down to just around 20%. So he started to cut And one of the areas he cut was housekeeping. And I said, you know, my friend, I don't know how much you've cut in housekeeping, but I want you to think about this. There is a dirty room, whether it's in the middle of a pandemic or whether it's in the middle of the best time, a dirty room is a dirty room. They're never coming back. As you've been kind of working with different clients, are there technologies that you've seen, uh, you know, kind of in the retail space that have been adopted at a faster pace? Well, no doubt. Uh, I think so many opportunities out there. Uh, Right now, we are looking at uh, the idea of buying online is growing. I mean, Target, for example, has started to take portions of their store and close it off to the consumer who's walking in so they have a better opportunity for distribution to the, you know, shipping and delivery. The buy online pickup in store is becoming more popular. What's happening right now as a result of the crisis we're in and we have been in is that we're learning to adopt 
these technologies and these ways of doing business that we might not have done before. We're moving three to five years into the future. This, all that we're experiencing now, the technology, uh, the different ways of shopping, doing business, with the exception of, you know, social distancing, but the idea of, you know, buying, delivery, et cetera, is being accelerated. We would have been there several years from now, but we're experiencing it right now because we're pushed into it. So I kind of think if there's something to be positive out of this, and I, I look at the the death and the illness is so negative, but I also look at the positivity of some of this. There's a lot of reasons to smile. We've seen new ways of doing business emerge that we are now more comfortable with, and maybe we were scared of before that don't scare us as much anymore. I think that's important. Kind of more uh, off the topic, but still very positive. We've seen brands do things for their community. I just wrote an article, it came out today, that a crisis of any kind magnifies the personality of a brand. So if the brand is one that would be involved with the community, I'll bet that same brand is more involved during a crisis in giving back and trying to do more for their customers and the world at large. And if they're stingy and tightening up, they go the other direction and they they cower in a corner. So it just becomes magnified. Awesome, Chef. That's a wealth of information. Are there any uh, you know final thoughts for our listeners that you uh, you know either advice or final thoughts that you want them to to double click on as they think about their strategies? I think that what's going to happen is we've got as as leaders of any type of business, but especially in the retail business, we have people of all different ages that are working with us, all different backgrounds. As a leader, we need to be seen, and I'm going to kind of tie two things in together. Number one, we need to be a beacon of hope, and that means realist at the same time optimist. And we can be optimistic about what we have ahead of us, make them feel like we have a plan, make them feel good about working with us, be realistic about what's right in front of us. And the other thing is to have an attitude of gratitude. I think one of the greatest things a leader can showcase is their attitude of appreciation, appreciation to their people, but appreciating what they have. And here's my point. The good old days were just two, three months ago. And that was when we were complaining about whatever we were complaining about. <laughs> and it could have been an employee that was you know, getting on our nerves. You know, I jokingly say, I complained that I didn't get that free first class upgrade on that long flight to California. <laughs> and I have to sit in the back with, between two big guys named Bubba. Okay. <laughs> and I have good friends named Bubba, so I'm not picking on those guys, but they know who they are. And I'm thinking what I would do today to be able to get in an airplane to fly to do a speaking engagement in front of a thousand people, what's going to happen? And they're going to, that time's coming up and it will happen again. For all of us, the good old days were just maybe at the very end of 2019, beginning of 2020, they're coming back. And when they do, we should be so much more appreciative because what we have right now, what little we can get, out of a bad situation, we're happy for. But when we get back what we used to complain about, we're going to love life even more. Totally agreed. And everyone that's Shep Hyken, uh, thank you much again for your time. Appreciate it. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to be in for a treat as soon as we publish this. So thank you again for your time here. Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in the show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.